ladies and all you musicians and singers, thank you so much. Good to see you this morning. Turn with me in your Bible, if you would, to the book of Revelation, last book in the Bible, and uh, chapter 7. You see that on your screen there. And this is the part four of the series of Russia and Armageddon. You see, this week I gave it a subtitle, Mercy in a Time of Judgment. We're going to talk about God's mercy during the tribulation period. By the way, JT's right. Man, when you, when you see what's going to happen in the tribulation period and what's going to happen to this old world and we look around and see what's happening now even, glad we're on the winning side. Amen? Praise the Lord. Thank you, JT. Um, chapter 7. Now, we, we've been going through, and we're going to pick that back up, a chronological order of the war with Armageddon. But for the next, this week and next week, I'm going to be looking at this mercy in the time of judgment. So, with that said, let's look at Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9. John's the human author here, John the Apostle. Jesus appearing to him on the Isle of Patmos and giving him these visions to see the future. And after this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Father, thank you that there is mercy in time of judgment. Thank you that for those of us who have trusted you, you have poured out on us great grace and great mercy and salvation. Thank you for that great truth. Speak to us now through your word. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you know, I started this series the, the Sunday after the Thursday when Russia invaded Ukraine. I've been giving you some statistics. I know you keep up with them on the news too, but just to, so they're fresh in our mind as we look at this. Death so far, according to the UN, this is the official verified number, 700 civilians killed, 109 of those are children. But the UN also put out this statement with that number. The actual number is probably considerably higher, end of quote. The uh, Ukrainian government itself says just in two cities alone, 3,000 citizens have died. Among their troops, around 3,000 Ukrainians, between two and four. The Russian troops, 13,000 plus. You add them all together, that's about 21,000 people who have lost their lives in 25 days. Wow, what a tragedy that is. In Lviv, they had a, a display of 109 empty strollers. In, their, in one of their big squares, representing and remembering the 109 children, 
probably many, many more, but the official count of the UN. We've seen theaters bombed. I know you've seen the theater where they had the word children on both sides in the parking lots, but Russia bombed it anyway. There was over a thousand people inside. They've rescued a hundred and thirty. The rest of that thousand is either dead or trapped in the basement. They have bombed children hospital, a maternity hospital, and a cancer hospital. Not only the deaths, but the people who are displaced or refugees leaving the country now 3.3 million and within the country the people that are displaced uh, is about uh, 6.5 million together that's about 10 million people who have had to leave their homes and some of them of course don't know where they're going or if they'll ever come back or where their next meals coming from so we see this great tragedy and I've been reminding you to to pray, and I know you have. Just before we pray, though, let me tell you two things quickly. One, our, the missionary family that's a member of our church, the Andersons, uh, they have some, they're, from Rom they're in Romania, they have some refugees in their home. And uh, we took an offering last week, and you had no warning. I just took it, uh, just announced it, and we took it, and we took a little over $1,000. So I thought that's wonderful and awesome. And we have a way to get that money directly to them since they're members of our church. And uh, those boxes are still out there today if you'd like to give to help the Andersons. One more, and that is I read just two days ago about a woman who was kidnapped. She's with an aid group called Orphan's Promise. And uh, her name is Valentina. And witnesses, eyewitnesses, saw her kidnapped. They threw, a, they threw a black bag over her head and took her away. Why that has happened, we don't know. Now, she was an aid worker and helped orphans all through U Ukraine. And then when the war started, she began to help everybody that needed help. So she was a part of getting people out and, and, uh, and especially people who were handicapped or people who were uh, uh, sick and needed special attention. She also was helping take food to people who were stranded without food and water. And uh, so she was an aid worker, and uh, she's been kidnapped. Her, her co-workers, colleagues, are very concerned, so they asked people around the world to pray. So I share that request with you. It says her friends and colleagues are very concerned for her safety, asking Christians that, she, this is part of your prayer, that she would not be tortured and that she will be soon released. It's a terrible thing we're watching that's happening in Ukraine. Pray with me, please. Father, we do pray for Valentina. We pray that she would not be tortured and we pray that she will be soon released. And we pray that during this difficult time for her, may you be very real to her and close to her, and may she know your strength through this terrible ordeal. We pray again for the end of, of this war. We pray you'd give wisdom to world leaders and that there'd be some kind of peace solution reached, we pray. And again, we pray for the safety of those 
for the innocent who are in the middle of this terrible ordeal. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Now, look at your map. I won't spend much time here today, but I want to remind you of some things you've probably seen this week. If you remember the three countries that are going to begin the Battle of Armageddon in a northern coalition, they look like this. Russia, Iran, and Turkey. Now, I remind you that the things that are going on today and the things the Bible says is going to happen really couldn't have, could not have happened until 1948 when Israel became a nation again. And now we're seeing all of these world leaders aligning in an alliance that the Bible said would happen 2,600 years ago. Think about that. What's the, what's the possibility of that being a coincidence? Well, it would be astronomical. This is God's Word, and it is no coincidence. And so, we see these nations. Now, just to remind you, these are the three major nations coming down in that northern attack. And just this week, last Sunday, I think it was, Iran launched some missiles that exploded close to the consulate, the U.S. consulate that is in Iraq. It was almost like warning shots, you know? Like they're saying, we can get to American people. We can get to American personnel. And uh, so ease the brakes on your uh, uh, sanctions against Russia. And then also this week, with all the talks going on, uh, Putin met with the president of Turkey. And they talked for a long time, and Turkey's leader came out and gave some uh, conditions for a ceasefire, for the, for the war to stop. It's interesting that all the world leaders that this could have been expressed to is expressed to the leader of Turkey. So again, we see those, uh, those alliances coming together. And then I'm not going to put all the names on here that are going to be involved in the war. Just one more name, and that's at the end of the war of Armageddon. And that is China, the kings of the uh, east. And of course, we know, we've seen, heard a lot about China this past week. And that Russia was asking for aid, financial aid, and also military aid. And uh, this just come out this morning. I didn't even have time to copy it. I'm going to read it right from the news about Russia. A senior, uh, about Chinese, China, I mean, a senior Chinese government official said on Saturday that sanctions imposed by Western nations on Russia over Ukraine are increasingly outrageous. He didn't say the war was outrageous or the loss of life was outrageous. He said the sanctions that the West is putting on Russia is outrageous. And then the vice foreign minister acknowledged Moscow's point of view on NATO. Again, this is the Chinese. Saying the alliance should not further expand, forcing a nuclear power like Russia, quote, into a corner. So... It's the West's fault because somehow we pushed Putin into a corner and he had to do what he's doing. 
One more sentence. China has yet to condemn Russia's action in Ukraine or call it an invasion. End of quote. These countries used to be at odds, at war with each other, off and on, but in the last, just in the last 10 years that makes all of this possible, the leader of China, Mr. Xi, and the leader of Russia have become friends just in the last 10 years. And I read to you a week or two ago that in 2019, Mr. Chi said that Putin was his, quote, best friend. We're seeing the stage being set, aren't we? For what God says is going to happen in the end days, and he said it 2,600 years ago. It's happening in front of us. Now let me just recap some of the order of events to bring us to where we are today. Remember, this war, I think, will last the whole three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. It's going to take about 1.7 billion. That's according to today's population. If, that, if this happens 10, 20 years from now, that number is going to be much bigger. It's a quarter of the world's population after the rapture. So the first thing that happens regarding the war, not, the, not prophecy. The next thing to happen in prophecy is the rapture of the church. And that could happen today. And it's going to happen in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Then the Antichrist will sign a peace treaty with Israel for seven years, according to Daniel chapter 9. And then, according to the scripture, this war will begin when Russia and the Northern Alliance comes against Israel while they are still at peace. And then uh, the Antichrist and the Western Alliance will protect Israel... And apparently during that conflict, the Antichrist receives a deadly wound and lives. And then he claims to be God and the new world leader. Jesus said in Matthew 24, when that happens, if you're up on the rooftop working, don't come down and gather your clothes into a suitcase. Just head for the mountains, head for the wilderness. It's going to be worse than it's ever been in the history of mankind. It'll never be this bad again. This is the great tribulation. And then uh, we saw that Antichrist then breaks his covenant with Israel and conquers them and moves his headquarters there. And then the false prophet arises. Now the Antichrist already on the scene, he's the beast. But then the, uh, the word beast used 36 times referring to the Antichrist. And then the false prophet comes on the scene. And we have the image of the beast, or the false prophet, I mean the uh, Antichrist, and the number of the beast. We looked at that last week. And now, uh, this week, this is where we're going to stay. Many Christians and Gentiles come to Christ. We read about a group just a moment ago. We're going to look back at that, though. Keep your Bibles open. But those who reject Christ before the rapture cannot believe. Now that's important because sometimes folks have the attitude and sometimes they just come right out and say it. I don't want to get saved, but if the rapture really happens and the tribulation really begins, I'll get saved then. Well, I don't think you will. And I think you'll see why as we look at this passage. So before we look at the good news of the redemption, look back at 
2 Thessalonians. And turn there in your Bibles. I'm going to turn there. We're going to read several verses, so if you've got time. 2 Thessalonians and chapter 2. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 3. And I want to move through this rather quickly because I'm not to the main part of the message yet. Uh, it says, let no man... This is 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away. And that man of sin, that's the Antichrist, be revealed, the son of perdition. The word perdition means destruction or judgment. Who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he is God, he as God, setteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. That's the abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about in Matthew 24. And he said, when that happens, that's when you're to run into the wilderness and hide for your life. For the Antichrist will start killing Jews. Others too. And then jump down. So we know we're talking about the Antichrist, the end of times here. This is Paul's longest passage on end time events. But jump down now to verse 8. And then shall the wicked be revealed, or the wicked one. Notice even in the King James, the word wicked is capitalized. It's referring to a person. The wicked one be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him, again, that's the Antichrist, even him whose working is after the... Uh, whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. You know, we saw last week that he gets his throne, his seat and his authority and his power to work miracles from the dragon, the red dragon, which is Satan himself. And he does many signs and wonders. Verse 10, And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish. Now we're getting to what I want us to see in particular. You, I want you to see the context. We're talking about the Antichrist, the end time, the tribulation period. Halfway through verse 10, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie. People who have heard the gospel and had a chance to get saved but chose not to be saved. Once the rapture takes place, that deal is sealed. Because they took pleasure in sin instead of coming to Christ. Now, a lot of people are going to get saved. That's the people who have never heard a clear message of the gospel in order to be saved. Notice the rest of this now. Verse 11 again, For this cause God shall send them strong delusions that they should believe a lie, or the lie. It's a definite article there. The lie, the Antichrist. That they might all be damned or condemned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. They wanted to continue in their sin instead of coming to Christ. The rapture could take place Today, and everybody who has heard the gospel 
and understood it and had a chance to be saved and said no, every one of them, their destiny, their eternal destiny will be sealed forever. Now that's not the good news, but that's the troubling part of it. But it's a great warning. Now look up at your screen. So we've looked at those who reject Christ before the rapture cannot be saved. Now I want to think about that first part. Many Jews and Gentiles will come to Christ. And here's kind of the outline we're going to work for from the next two weeks. And these are, uh, uh, illustrate for us in the scripture or give us the information about people coming to Christ. First there's the 144,000, then there's a multitude in heaven. We read one verse from that as a text. Then there's the two witnesses. Then there's angels preaching. We'll look at that next week. And then there's the judgment of Israel and the nations after the tribulation. Here's something Jesus said in his longest passage on prophecy. Matthew 24. Jesus said, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. Then shall the end come. Now, he's not talking about during the church age. That whole chapter is about the tribulation period. So, during the tribulation period, the gospel is going to be preached to every nation. Came across an interesting note here that's worth sharing with you. The gospel is called in the New Testament the everlasting gospel, the gospel of God, the gospel of grace, the gospel of Christ, the gospel of peace the glorious gospel, and the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel would be preached to everyone. Now, now turn back in your Bibles. I've got you going back and forth to Revelation. And we're going to be there a while. So turn there with me. Chapter 7, where we started. Now, chapter 7 is a parenthetical chapter. It happens between the sixth seal of judgment and the seventh seal of judgment. And this is when John sees this revelation of people coming to Christ. The first couple of verses talk about angels holding back the winds of the storm of judgment long enough for uh, another angel to seal these 144,000. Well, let's pick it up in Verse 2, And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice <clears throat> to the four angels, they were the ones holding back the judgment, and to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Here's the 144,000. Verse 5 through 8 just gives us the tribes. So you can do the math. But look at verse 5. We'll just read one of them. Of the tribe of Judah, there were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of uh, Reuben, uh, they were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, there were sealed 12,000, and on and on it goes the next three verses. So these are Jews 
who are sealed. Now, there's a, there's a lot of confusion and false teaching about who the 144,000 are. For instance, the Jehovah's Witnesses claim that from the day of Pentecost, or the beginning of the church, to the end when Christ returns, that the, the best of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the 144 best of them, will be the 144,000. And they're the only ones that will be in heaven. They will have be glorified spirits in heaven with the Father and the Son. And all the rest of the Jehovah's Witnesses will live here on earth, the, the, new, the new earth. But only the 144,000 get to go up. That's the best of them. You probably have seen in the last couple of years articles on Lori Vallow. I don't know if you remember the name or not, but she's accused of and is in prison now awaiting trial, which should, I think it's scheduled for January of this coming year. She's accused of killing her two children, which is pretty obvious, obvious that she did. They were buried in her backyard. And uh, she's accused of killing her husband and her New husbands accused of killing his wife. So they killed at least four people, maybe a fifth one in there. And these were people who were extremely religious. I mean extremely, I mean obsessively religious. And they were big on prophecy. So be careful what you read online. There's a lot of nuts out there. They call themselves that their ministry was preparing the people. You know what people they were preparing? The 144,000. And they were the first two of that 144,000. They were going to gather the rest of them. And uh, the children were in the way, so they had to murder them. Husband and wife in the way, so they murdered them so they could do God's work and gather the 144,000 here on earth just before the Lord's return. Well, the Bible says they're all Jews. How can you not understand that? God goes to the trouble to name the tribes of Israel. All 144,000 will be Jews living during the tribulation period. Now, a little more about them. Hold your place there. We'll come right back to that. Look over in chapter 14. We see them again. And he says, And I looked, and lo, a lamb, verse 1, <coughs> stood on, the, on Mount Zion, or Zion as it is. Now, some people think this is the millennial kingdom, but I think it's obvious it is heaven. This is the heavenly Mount Zion, as Hebrews 12 22 and 23 talks about. And so here he is, and, and with the Lamb, and with him, 140 and 4,000 having their father's name written in their forehead. That was their seal, their father's name. And I heard, a, by the way, let me, in case I forget to come back to that, that seal. A seal doesn't necessarily have to be visual, so it, it's not necessarily that they had the Father's name, Yahweh, or written 
on their forehead for everybody to see just because they were sealed. Some people see it that way, but I don't necessarily see it that way. You know, the Scripture says in, in Ephesians chapter uh, uh, f- 4 and verse 30 that you and I are sealed as well. We're sealed until the day of redemption. I can't see your seal. Can you see mine? But we're sealed, aren't we? Now, maybe this will be something visual, but not necessarily. But it is, of course, an, in contrast to those who are taking the mark of the beast, which is in their forehead. But even the mark of the beast doesn't have to be visual if it's a credit card system that is put on a, uh, uh, you know, a chip in the forehead. So, here we come. They're sealed. Look at the uh, verse 2. Of 14, and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of, a great, of great thunder. <laughs> wow. And I heard the voice of harpers harping with their harps. Wow. What a glorious scene this is. A heavenly scene. Dr. J. Vernon McGee says in his life in ministry, He's realized that in the church, there's a lot of harpers. Some harp about this, and some harp about that. And there's always somebody harping, he said. But this is a different kind of harping. Harpers are harping. And uh, look at verse 3. And they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne and before the four beasts. Now, that's the word beast I talked about last week, or the week before. It doesn't mean a monster like the 36 times it refers to the Antichrist. This is a different word. And if you've got a new King James, it'll say living creature. Or it will say the living one if you have a new translation. And, and that's, that is the way it should be translated. Uh, living ones. These are apparently angels. They, I'm getting off the subject here. But they appear to be like the cherubim or seraphim in the Old Testament. They're leading worship around the throne of God, these living creatures. <coughs> Excuse me. And then it says, uh, the four beasts and the elders. Who's the elders in this heavenly scene? Well, the elders are the church that's already been raptured. The first time we see the elders is in chapter 4, and they're already on thrones, and they're already clothed in righteousness, they already have their crown. The only people in the Bible that speaks about crowns is New Testament believers. And uh, so this is the elders are, are the New Testament uh, believers, the church. They're already in heaven, represented by the elders, which is, of course, in the system of the New Testament, the leaders of the churches. Same as a pastor bishop and elders all referring to the same person. So here we have angels, we have these special angels, the four living creatures, and we have the elders. And no man could learn the song but the 144 and 4,000 which were redeemed from the earth. They had a special song they could sing because they were a special group as it is in God's economy. And here they are in heaven. How did they get to heaven? I think it was because they were martyred. 
Now, some people think that seal, a seal means ownership and protection. Some people think because they were sealed that they were not going to die during the tribulation period. But I just really can't find that. I can't see that. You and I are sealed, but we're going to die. We might die in a car wreck. Somebody might shoot us. Or we might die of old age. But we're going to die unless we're still alive when the Lord comes. So a seal doesn't keep you from dying. It just keeps you from dying before God's time. And uh, so I think these 144,000 were martyred by the beast. Because they wouldn't take the mark of the beast. And so they were put to death. And here they are now in heaven rejoicing. And here's some things it says about them. Notice the last part of verse 3. They were redeemed by the blood of Christ from the earth. These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now this is somewhat difficult to interpret. It's certainly not saying that if you're married, sexual activity within marriage is wrong or defiling, because the Bible makes it clear that it's right and good and it was God's idea and it's something beautiful but these particular people were either unmarried and virgins or we could be talking about here virgins in a spiritual sense I'll give you one other place where that uh, where that is used it's in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 2. Were it, were it speaking of all the Corinthians, including the men, Paul says, I want to present you before the Lord as chaste virgins. Well, at least half the people in the congregation were married. Maybe 80% of them were married. And... Uh, they were all ages, men and women and so forth. And he said, I want to present you to the Lord as a chaste virgin. In that passage, beyond a doubt, he's referring to virginity in a special spiritual way. In other words, they didn't commit sin with idols and false teachers and false teaching and so on. And so. They were true to the Lord. So that could be the meaning here. But the way it's worded, I think, makes it more likely that these are young people that get saved early in the tribulation. They're unmarried. And though the tribulation is going to be a terrible time of immorality, sexual immorality will be at its height and worst during the tribulation period. But these 144,000 never gave in to any of that. They probably didn't marry because, as again Paul tells us in when he, his writings to the Corinthians, that even though getting married is right and good during a time of terrible persecution, uh, it can be hindering to the work of the ministry because you're worried about what's going to happen to your wife and children or your husband and children and so forth. So I believe, and I'm going to try to put all this together in a moment. I believe they were virgins in the sense of the physical meaning. These are they, look at verse 4, halfway through. These are they which follow the Lamb, whithersoever he goeth. Man, every step. 
Jesus said, step to the right. They stepped to the right. Whatever Jesus said, wherever he led them, they followed him. These, and these were redeemed from among men. So they are redeemed by the blood of Christ from among men. And then it says, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. First fruits means a smaller harvest before the full harvest comes. Now the full harvest is coming. These are the ones that are going to get saved early on in the tribulation period. And they're representative of a greater harvest that's coming. And in chapter 7, we'll see that again in just a moment. And then uh, read verse 5. And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. That is, in their walk. They were not sinless, but they were, when sin came, they confessed it and walked in fellowship with the Lord. So where do these 144,000 come from? Uh, again, they're only going to be during the tribulation period. I think they'll get saved very early on. Now think about this. The rapture happens, maybe a billion people around the world disappear suddenly. I mean, it's going to be front line on every newspaper and every news article online. Millions and millions missing suddenly. I think the Antichrist will have somewhat of an answer for that. I don't have time to go into what I think that might be, but maybe that'll come another time. But, but not only that, but I think people will begin to search the Scriptures to try to figure out what happened. And uh, by the way, an article that came out four days, February the 28th, four days after the invasion of Ukraine, written by the CEO of, uh, of uh, Bible, the U.S. Uh, National Bible Society, said Bibles in Ukraine were already sold out. They couldn't get them fast enough. And that article said some of them were reading God's Word for the very first time in their lives. Can you imagine with a billion people missing, all the Bibles will be bought up by the people who are still around? And they will start watching and listening to sermons online. I've been praying recently that some of my sermons on end time will be heard by some of the people in the tribulation period and that they'll come to Christ through the preaching of the word now this 144,000 are not going to be filling some big conference center for a you know a prophecy conference they're scattered all over the world on every continent not all of them together God sees them together because he knows who they are all around the world but it doesn't say they're really gathered together until they get to heaven so Jews from all over the world maybe young Jews because they're not married yet Hasidic Jews strict Jews and uh, all around the world, they will read the Bible, New Testament, probably for the first time they'd ever held a New Testament in their hand because it's forbidden 
now. And they'll listen to preaching and teaching on the internet. And they will come to find Jesus is their Messiah. <laughs> and they will bow to his lordship and find forgiveness of sin and a home in heaven. And that will make up the 144,000. Now my time is gone. Move quickly with me back to chapter 7. Chapter 7, and let's finish up here. And this, this next section is absolutely beautiful. Chapter 7, and starting in verse 9. And by the way, this comes right after the 144,000. I think the 144,000 are going to be evangelists. They're going to be trying to win people online and in person. Somebody said it like 144,000 Billy Sundays or Billy Grahams. Or maybe more likely, it's like 144,000 Apostle Pauls preaching and teaching and winning people. And the result of their ministry will be this great crowd that comes up in verse 9. It says in verse 9, After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number. I mean, we're talking about there's, uh, there's 8 billion people on earth now, 7 billion after the rapture, a billion or more is going to die. We're talking about 6 billion people. There could be a billion of them that come to Christ, maybe. It's a number anyway that the Word says you couldn't number. John looks at them and says, I can't put a number on that. Which no man could number. But look, they're from all nations and kindreds, people groups. They're from all different people and tongues, languages. This is people all over uh, the earth that have come to Christ. Now you might say, well, it sounds a little bit like the church. It does. But when the church is praising the Lord, that's over in chapter 5. And that involved the elders that we talked about that represent the church. And, uh, but this is a different group, and you'll see why, how we know that in just a moment. And, uh, and they stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palms in their hand, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which setteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. And all the angels stood round about the throne. So, that, so they're not angels. They're redeemed humanity. There's angels there as well. And look who else is there in the throne. And about the elders. There's the church. They're already in heaven. And, uh, and four beasts, or that is living creatures, fell down before the throne on their faces and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto the... God, forever and forever, amen. What a scene. Look at verse 13. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, John's seen this vision now, and the, the elder speaks to him, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence come they? Where did they come from? Who are they and where did they come from? I've always loved John's answer. Notice what he says. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. I can't, if you kindly read between the lines, you, you get what John's thinking. How do I know who they are? You're the one that's up here with them in heaven. You're the one who knows who they are. You tell me. And, 
So he says, Sir, thou knowest. And he said unto me, These are they which come out of great tribulation. These are tribulation saints, not the church. These are people who came out of the great tribulation and they were redeemed. That one of the, the, the greatest revival on earth is going to happen during the tribulation period. I'll say more about that next week. And, uh, and notice then what he says. They came out of great tribulation and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Whew. Whether your sins are washed away in the Old Testament, in the church age, or in the tribulation age, the only thing that can wash away sin is the blood of Christ. The blood of the Lamb. Now notice these sweet verses. Verse 15. Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And again, this throne is in heaven. And the temple is in heaven. And He that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And they shall hunger no more. Now that probably implies during the tribulation period they hungered. They wouldn't take the mark of the beast so they couldn't buy or sell. They had to hide somewhere to keep from being executed until they were executed. So they hungered, but no more. Neither will they thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them nor any heat if they had to live out in a desert area, but no more. Verse 17. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them. Now the word feed, that's, that's a good translation, but you've heard me say before, the word feed, pastor, and shepherd all come from the same word. This could be translated shepherd, and in newer translations it is. And, and the lamb, which is in the midst of them, shall feed them, or shepherd them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Thank God for mercy, even in a time of judgment. Amen? Pray with me, please. Father, thank you that those of us who are redeemed will not go through this tribulation period because you've promised we are not appointed to wrath the wrath that we deserve, the punishment we deserved, was poured out upon your Son, the Lord Jesus. And for that, we worship you and praise you today. We pray that you would give us peace and strength in the midst of the difficult days in which we're living and comfort us in our trouble and sorrow, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.